Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing 10 Things I Hate About the Duke by Loretta Chase. This is the second book in the Difficult Dukes series, and it was just released on December 1st, 2020. Guys, we're so happy about this book. It's been a long time since we got a new Loretta Chase. And as you know, we love Loretta Chase. So, And full disclosure, we received a complimentary arc of this book uh, for our unbiased review and perusal. Yes. So, I mean, it's as unbiased as we can be about Loretta Chase, who we already love. And you may recall... I, Lane, loved the first book in this series, and the second one did not let me down. I I loved the first one, not quite as much as Lane did, but I loved it. I liked this one even more. It's so freaking good. Okay, so the jacket. This time, who's taming whom? Cassandra Pomfret holds strong opinions she isn't shy about voicing. But her extremely plain speaking has caused an uproar. And her exasperated father, hoping a husband will rein her in, has ruled that her beloved sister can't marry until Cassandra does. Now, thanks to a certain wild living nobleman, the last shreds of Cassandra's reputation are about to disintegrate, taking her sister's future and her family's good name along with them. The Duke of Ashmont's looks make women swoon. His character flaws are beyond counting. He's lost a perfectly good bride through his own carelessness. He nearly killed one of his two best friends. Still, troublemaker that he is, he knows that damaging a lady's good name isn't sporting. The only way to right the wrong is to marry her and hope she doesn't smother him in his sleep on their wedding night. This is an excellent jacket. It's a good one. It's a good one, guys. It's real good. <laughs> so you may recall the Duke of Ashmont was Olivia's intended, Olympia's intended in book one. Mm-hmm. She fled him on their wedding day and ended up eloping with his bestie. And That's right. There is, just to, to jump a little bit ahead, one of the things I loved the most about this book was the decision to jump right in the morning after. Yes. The ending of the first book. Uh-huh. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And then the fact that she started right then was so good. Yeah. So the first book ends after Ripley survives their duel. And then there's an epilogue at a ball a few weeks later. So this book picks up from Ashmont's perspective right after the duel. And then that ball is incorporated into the text that had yes. been the epilogue in the first book. It was just such a smart way of introducing this yes. and made Ashmont's character development that much more obvious. So uh, uh. so as usual, we generate a random number and then write our own summaries. And this week, the random number was 37. All right, I'll go ahead and start. Ever wonder what you're doing wrong with women? They all turn you down despite your wealth and pulchritude. Plot trists can help. One, figure out her favorite book. Two, Read it. Three, talk about it. Four, wedding bells. Excellent. So um, we may want to mention that if that book is basically how to be a feminist and you are a man with power and it makes you a feminist, even better. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many times I can say this. If you're a man and you want to find out what matters to women, read media, watch media created by women for women. And, you know, you might get a little hint about what women want. I don't know. I mean, this is the premise of the Bromance Brook Club. So we may be jumping around a little in terms of our. Sorry, guys. <laughs> our our uh, covered media. But yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a very good time to watch Ashmont go through his transformation through feminist literature. How about you, Lynn? So my my summary. Cassandra's given up on Ashmont just in time for his reformation. So, of course, they're compromised. Luscious Lucius is determined to earn her trust and give her sister a season. But they keep being witnessed in situations. (laughs) It's so good. It's so so good. As as you will recall from the first book, um, one of my favorite things that I can't stop gushing about is the ridiculous nicknames society has for the Duke of Ashmont. Yes. His grace with the angel face is like one of my favorite things, but it was too many words for the yes. summary. Or So I had to sub in Luscious Lucius, which Loretta Chase also uses. But if I could have fit his grace with the angel face, no, that's what would have been there. I mean, see, you like his grace with the angel face. I'm just in love with Luscious Lucius. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good it's perfect it's perfect and in my head like he's very army hammer but in my heart he's very heath ledger Fair. for obvious reasons i mean very obvious reasons <laughs> yeah so there are so many tropes just in the jacket here yeah um she's obviously somebody doing anything for her sister She's a blue-stocking blue activist who speaks her mind. Including in, like, major meetings of thought leaders. Yeah, she doesn't, she takes no shit from anyone, which is, I mean, as you know, something that we love. Uh, absolutely. He is the quintessential reformed Drake. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he reforms in this book. So when the book starts, yes. he is not reformed yet. He is full rake. Full rake. Full rake. And he goes from like the terror of the ton to activists taking his seat in parliament. Like it's not just he goes from like wild party boy to responsible family man. Like he goes from devil may care to very responsible. I know. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So there's the compromised and forced to marry. Although, yes, yes. I mean, this happens. This does happen. But it also doesn't happen when you think it's going to happen, which was was so good. I don't know how Loretta Chase did it, but it was like the best fake out. First, I was disappointed. Then I was like, yes. Yes. And that said, it, it does get into the forced to pretend to be courting at the very least like yeah. their behavior is contrived and forced upon them to stave off society's worst impulses well it's the the fake relationship that turns real but the whole time one of the participants in the fake relationship wants it to be real yes mm-hmm. uh, and this this gets into the title makes this obvious but this is an adaptation of an adaptation sort of yeah i mean 10 Things I Hate About You is based on Taming of the Shrew. 
Yeah. And while this is obviously using Taming of the Shrew as its primary source material, the title has an obvious parallel. Yes. I mean, I don't think it's, I would not say it's an adaptation of ad, ugh, an adaptation of an adaptation. I would say it is an, it is an adaptation with a reference to another adaptation. But okay. it doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> How we do <Fair>. <laughs> Um, she had a childhood crush on him. I love this trope so much. Me too. And and yes, there's the responding to a letter in person. So good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as you can guess, we loved this book. We really, really liked it. It lived up to all of the expectations we had for Loretta Chase. And we have a lot of expectations for her because we love her so much. Well, and this one was also delayed several times. Like it's been a long time coming. So we had a lot of time to build up our expectations. Yes. This was supposed to be published last year and they kept getting delayed. And so we were like, okay, when are we hearing about it? Although I did think it was going to be about um, the other guy instead. Black Blackwood. Wood. Yeah, so the last of the dangerous dukes, one of the difficult dukes. Their disgraces. The last of the difficult duke series is going to be about a marriage in crisis. So we thought that would be this book because that was so obviously set up in the last one, but she went this direction instead. Which is fine. I, you know what, whatever Loretta Chase wants to give me, I will take at this point. Yeah, so Ashmont really reminds me of Freddy from Cotillion. I I thought he had aspects of Rupert from Mr. Impossible as well. I think he's too much of a dandy to remind me of Rupert. That's fine. That's fair. But he also loves getting in fights. And yes. presents this stupid face to the world. Not stupid. He embraces the idea that people don't think he's smart. Yes, but to me, Rupert, like, embraced the simplicity of, cool, I'm the brawn. Yeah. And I think the whole point of this book is sort of Freddy, not Freddy, <laughs> Luscious Lucius coming to the realization that, like, his brain is important. His brain is important. Yes, I agree. I just felt like his speech patterns were reminded me a lot of Freddy. Yeah, I agree. I do agree with that. I think I think the major difference between Freddy and and Lucius is that Freddy was dumb <laughs> and yes. Lucius is not stupid. <laughs> yes, but like I think the way that they articulate the information they're processing even though Freddy is processing less of it. Yes, is very similar. That's that's very fair. I would also say that that Lucius has understands less about society because he doesn't want to, and he doesn't need to. Well, he's also a Duke. Like, well, he's a, not only is he a Duke, he's a Duke who doesn't care what people think about him. Right. But like, he's just got a longer leash in society. Whereas Freddie's kind of navigating on the fringes. Yeah. But I, I mean, we, we both loved Cotillion as well. So, you know, read Cotillion. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So as we said, this this episode, this book starts right where the last one left off. And immediately, Luscious Lucius and Cassandra are forced into 
close proximity mm-hmm. and potentially jeopardized. And so Ashmont immediately is like, right thing to do is propose. Never mind that he had was left at the altar like a week ago. And so even though you do like acknowledge that his character is trying to do the right thing in that moment, it's such a smart place to start this story because it's so short-sighted. It's so short-sighted. He, you basically, you see that he has good intentions and all along he has had good intentions. So it's not that he is, he's not that he's being a rake, a cold hearted rake and breaking everyone's hearts and stuff like that. He, he's, Trying to be a nice guy, but yeah. he's he doesn't he he just doesn't get it yet. No, and he doesn't get it in terms of her disappointment in him, her disinterest in him, or like kind of his frustration at himself, like why he keeps screwing up as badly as he does. Mm-hmm. And his behavior and who he seeks guidance from this whole time are perfection. Yes. Oh, you may remember Lord Frederick and um, Lady Julia from the first book. I mean, there's something going on there as well. We all know. There's There's less of them. There's less of their romance subplot in this one, though they both heavily appear and their romance subplot does exist. Yeah. But they are relying or excuse me Lucius is relying on Frederick to tell him what he should do basically he tells Frederick hey I ran into um Cassandra I I would like to marry her and Frederick is basically like okay do exactly what I tell you to do and you might might be able to marry this wonderful person yes and for- <laughs> Lucius is just so worried. He's like, but if I do this, what if someone else marries her? And God love that because Lord Frederick has to be like, this woman is called the Gorgon. Yes. Like, everyone's afraid of her. But he can't tell Lucius that, like, to be afraid of that is ridiculous because he recognizes she is, like, a gem of the pearl of the first water or whatever you call it. So, like, but I just loved all the moments that were Lucius panicking, like, other men are going to see her and they'll realize and then I'll be doomed. I loved, I loved it so much, Lane. I loved it so much. This is the kind of romantic hero I love is the one who falls for the woman. And regardless of how ugly, outspoken, unsuitable she is, is convinced that number one, he's not good enough for her, but also number two, other people are going to, like steal a march on him and 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 get her unless he you know gets her first well it's just so profoundly irrational not only because she's a scandal a walking scandal but because they've already become a point of gossip Mm -hmm. so like not only is it unlikely somebody is going to suddenly sweep her off her feet but he's also kind of staked his claim on her in society and he's still just like but what if no one what if they what if they take her anyway right he's like so someone funny. someone's gonna steal her out from from under my nose and like every like literally everyone including cassandra is like that's not gonna happen but cassandra really does i like that lord frederick's advice isn't bad yes yes i agree i so agree 
so we went on this whole rant about how it's unlikely anyone's going to fall for Cassandra. Okay, someone totally does. <laughs> yes, but does Cassandra fall for him back? Mm-mm. No. But I feel like this is a plot point that handled by a less deft writer would have bothered me. Yes. Either because it was presented as a legitimate alternative, which it never is here, or because it felt really tacked onto the plot that she's got this competing suitor who's trying to use her family's enemy to like win her regard and break her up with the Duke of Ashmont. And Loretta Chase is just so talented that these sort of completely unrelated scenes between these two characters did not feel tacked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And this is something, it's something that we actually have dinged Chase on before because she will often have um, POV, um, POV chapters from the point of view of the villain, which mm-hmm. can feel extraneous, too much, you know, we don't need them. I didn't feel like it in this case. I also think it worked better here because he wasn't really the villain. Yes. And I I know usually like the baddies aren't as bad as they're cracked up to be, or sometimes they are. But like in this case, the villain was really Lucius's stupidity. Well, it was that. And it was also that other woman. What's her name? Yeah, but that wasn't really what was keeping them apart. Oh, like, you know, like in, what is it? Uh, Miss Wonderful. Mm-hmm. like the railroad is up like it's actually an obstacle to them to come together and like there are people behind it this competing love interest and the villain are never like actually an impediment oh no not to them getting together no so I think that's why it works so much better here is because it's like it's more of a tie to the wider social gossip that's been going on the whole time mm-hmm. rather than something tied to the love story yeah that's true Uh, I thought that she struck just the right tone with the taming of the shrew adaptation stuff because that play is extremely problematic (laughs) and shocking. I know. Right. (laughs) And it it could really, if you do, if you put base it on the wrong things, I really could have disliked it. They, she had just enough of what you wanted. So she had, as you heard in the jacket, the setup is her sister is like the belle of the ball. She is society's new, you know, incomparable. Yes. And her father says that uh, Hyacinth, that's her name, her sister's name, Hyacinth can no longer go out in society unless Cassandra can prove herself to be marriageable. Right. Yes. So this is the this is the whole taming of the true setup, right? We've got overprotective dad, Rena, overprotective dad. You know, Bianca can't get married until Catherine does, right? There you go. Like that's the setup. There's also the part in Taming of the Shrew where the reason why Petruchio gets together with Catherine is because Bianca's suitors are like, here, we'll we'll pay you to go do it. You know, so that's not here. No, the suitor of Hyacinth is a friend of Ashmont's and he is not in a manipulative way 
allowing his friend the opportunity to get closer to Hyacinth as part of his plot to lose Sandra. Oh, yeah. No one at any point even thinks that Lucius is pursuing Cassandra to help his friend pursue Hyacinth. Right. And um, he's not. Like, there is, there is no bet or bribe involved. No. And I was, I was nervous that – I saw that there was no bet or bribe, so it was fine. But I was nervous that people would think that it was and that was going to be the conflict. But it was not. I was extremely pleased. There was a lot of speculation as to what the hell he was doing. Yeah, because who would court Cassandra? But there was never an, uh, what's the word I want? Attribution of ulterior motives. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was really good. It was really good. It's just really good. I also love a lot of really fun, traditional romance novel date setups. Yeah. You have the opera, you have the ride in Hyde Park, you have the like chaperoned dance. I kind of love how appropriate it all was because Uh like half the time, the fun of the romance novels is taking these very state appropriate situations and like making them very inappropriate and like we're gonna find a a waltz and a foundle and like for the most part though not completely this sort of plays those things straight and it's actually very cute yeah uh one of the other things I love too is this this has another one of my preferred tropes that happens in romance novels which is there's the acknowledged beauty you know the younger sister who's beautiful belle of the ball blah 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 but Lucius is like uh, he's like, there's, I don't see the point. Like, why is everyone going gaga about this girl? Like, she's fine. She's just I a child. Love it. But I love it because he specifically talks about her youth. Yeah. Being unappealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and he, I love how he, this is so stupid. I love how he purposely forgets her name all the time. All the time. It's so funny. It's, it's. It's just really good. It's really good. I also love the, like, several proposals trope. Uh-huh. Like, he has to work to get her to say yes. Well, and the only reason she says, she says yes. Well, I, what I love is he realizes, hmm, I got to work on myself. I don't have to, I don't have to work on her. I have to make myself a better person. I have to make myself someone she will be attracted to. Right. And like, she is not shrewish. She is impassioned and working hard on causes that I should also care about. Yeah. Well, I love too how he's like, oh, oh, this is what being a Duke is all about. It's actually like helping people or using my privilege for things other than having parties, you know? It was just, she was such a great character. He was such a fantastic character. And watching them dance around each other and cave into one another while independently working on stuff they kind of have to get through. Because even though, like, she doesn't have to change at all, and that's not presented in this book, she does sort of have to, like, get over some childhood hurts and insecurities. Yes. So she, there's and not that. to, like, tame her. But there's also, what I also like, too, is there's a whole aspect of know thyself. So part yes. of the reason that she's resisting him is because she she's like, what if this happens? What if I do this? What if I do that? 
but something makes her realize like I have been worrying about the wrong thing all along because right. I would have never act like that like that's not me like why am I worried about that she's for various reasons sort of viewed marriage as a, a prison sentence as we've discussed several times on this podcast like marriage was protection but it was also you no longer had control over anything in your life mm-hmm. and she was so caught up in worrying about that she sort of didn't think about like would I let that happen to me mm-hmm. yeah and then there's also the specific things tied to Lucius that she had to work through but it was just so perfect her moment of like fuck this I mean, it's this total moment of like mm, actually no like I'm going for what yeah. I want it's great it's so much fun uh anything offend you about this book Nope. I mean, same. I was thinking hard and nothing. There's no sexual violence. There's no... I mean, there's, like, the sexism that you find in romance novels because they're set in the past. But it's less than usual here Mm because she's so busy calling it out all the time. (laughs) Right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of, like, women in society competing against each other, but, like... Not really? Not really, no. Um, and even... It's not presented offensively at all. No, and I, I love the relationship between the sisters as well because they yes. genuinely care about each other and Hyacinth, who is out in society and like having a good time, wants her sister to come with her to have a good time, not because she can only go out with her sister. Yeah, and that's... Where it also really differs from Taming of the Shrew is, is Hyacinth slash Bianca is not putting pressure on Cassandra. Exactly. Slash Catherine. Yeah. yeah. The pressure is all Cassandra thinking, oh gosh, Hyacinth could be having a really good time and it's all my fault that she's not having a good time. <laughs> so it's an internal. Cassandra, Cassandra does start to think about like, even if I'm doing the right thing, when do I have to be conscious of how it reflects on others? Yeah. And Hyacinth is the first one to be like, stop doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm fine. You run off. I will cover for you. Goodbye. It will be fine. Yeah. Uh, How sexy was this book? Pretty. Okay, so it was sexy, but, like, part of Ashmont's reformation is not ruining her. Right. And so it would have, for it to be sexier, I think would have required a degree of, like, character assassination so it's a lot of really hot makeouts and a lot of really hot like mutual understanding <laughs> but there's only one penetrative sex scene yeah and it i it really could have fallen into the trap that we've seen recent most recently with the smith smith books yeah. in that I, you kind of feel like the editor was like hey this is a romance novel you have to have a sex scene because there's one mm-hmm. sex scene that happens sort of towards the end of the book. But but there is character development. There mm-hmm. is um, conflict resolution. There is so much that happens. Like, it's not... It, it, and there's a, it, may, it becomes a major plot point later, too, as well. So, yes. It's not this extraneous, oh, wait, I better throw that in. 
Well, and it's also not, the book was not tame up to that point. No. That's true. Like, it was, it was a lot more graphic, but also there was a lot more uh, understanding between the two characters. Sex was absolutely used to develop their, like, understanding of one another. So I, as much as I'm glad the final sex scene wasn't tacked on, it also made sense for them not to hook up beforehand and not out of some, like, misplaced notion of feminine chastity, but because, like, by not having sex with her before the wedding day, he was proving he's actually changed. Yeah. Even though that's never articulated in the text. No, but there's also, this goes back to something you were saying earlier, Lane, about how the it's really kind of a tame courtship whereas in a lot of other romances they're like oh we're gonna go to the opera but then let's go in an empty box and make out thanks Sabrina Jeffries like (laughs) I I will never say no but and they do a little bit but But a little bit (laughs) but just a little bit and like probably as much as you could have gotten away with back then and still you know gotten away with it Right, like, he's not hiking her skirts up in the upper box. hmm Which, don't get me wrong, I enjoy it when skirts are hiked up in opera boxes. I was going to say, again, we are not knocking that. It just, it, it, it's almost a reversal of the romance uh, conventions that we've come to accept. To expect. Yes. Which, is, which is always fun. It's always fun to have a reversal of expectations. Especially because I think... At least this is totally anecdotal, and I, if I thought of this earlier, I would have like done a little digging. But I feel like a lot of times, especially the early sexy makeout scenes in a book, are often pretty heavily from the heroine's point of view, mm-hmm. because it's a lot of like, I've never done this before. What are these feelings overtaking me? Like, focused on a woman's pleasure, as romance novels often are, and I do feel like disproportionately a lot of the early hookups were Ashmont's point of view. There were, there were a few. And like, obviously it always switches back and forth. So maybe, but like, it's interesting to me that I remember his point of view more significantly because I think it's interesting. You didn't lose any focus on her for doing that, but it really, it showed without ever like implying he used women previously or like treated them poorly. I think it really showed the degree to which he, was one completely in love with her, mm-hmm. but two like conscious of how his behavior reflected on her and how he yeah. treated her was was a testament to how he felt about her. Right. Like there is a time and a place to be ravished and he ravishes her quite plenty. But like weirdly, they did a good job in this book of convincing me that him not rucking up her skirt in the opera box was a sign of respect. Yeah. Which and it's it's so I don't funny need I, I like, don't need I don't need exactly that's the thing is like I feel like we're trying to be like but it's not you know we're not saying that because you have sex we don't respect you but it's 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 these specific characters in this specific book honestly it, it all just works so well together and yes. it never felt like he was like preserving her virtue over her protests to want to lose it no. No. Like, that would have pissed me off. This wasn't, like, she knew her own mind and he was obsessed with her purity. This was entirely, like, him recognizing she was important and treating this differently than he had before. Yeah. Anyway, guys, so we hot. loved it's this so book. Good. We we really loved oh. it. So, 
Lorena Chase does it again. We love you. But if, I just want to also reference that um, the wedding nights happen in the same exact location for the first time in between the first book and this book, right? It's the fishing cottage, right? Yes. So I'm just interested to see if that's a theme carried into the third one. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Right? Right? Rain. I love it. I love, I hope, now I hope so. Loretta, if you're listening, do it. Yeah, so the first book, like, a lot of it takes place at Charles. No, Lady Lady Julia. Yeah, Lady Charles's house. Julia's house. Right, but it starts with a C. What's the name of the house? Chalmsburg Town? I don't know. Anyway, Lady Julia's house, where they all grew up as kids. Ripley and uh, Olympia spend a lot of time in hiding there in book one. Ashmont runs away there a couple of times. It's a much less significant setting in this one. But they do go there for their wedding night. So I'm just saying, I need Champlesburg to be a setting. In <laughs> oh, you know it's going to be a setting because Alice goes there a lot. I know, but I need them to have sex in the fishing hut. Sex in the fishing hut, yeah. I agree. I just, I'm putting it out there. Like that's That's what you call a trilogy. That's what you call a trilogy. That's right. <laughs> you need you need to have continuity. All right. So thank you so much for listening. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe.